Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best, healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast, Episode 6. Thank you for uh, listening and watching. And we are here. Um, I'm Dr. Kyle, your host and clinician. Of course, I am not by myself. I am with the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, sir? My man, I'm good. I'm good today. How you feeling, man? Hanging in, man. Listen, you know the uh the weather is breaking. So uh yeah, it's about to be uh it's about to be that time of season. I ain't mad at that. I ain't, I didn't have uh you gotta excuse me up because I, I didn't get time to change. You got the fresh polo over you on. You know, I'm still coming, I'm coming straight from work. I say, know? hey man, listen, that's the way it works. <laughs> I told you, listen, we are always saving lives, you know that. That's you know, right, man. That's you know, right. so that's that's the way it works. Uh, I, I meant to ask you this last week, man. A couple people, I'm not gonna say who they were, but a couple people saw uh, a couple of your posts on the gram, and you was uh, you was stunting and standing outside of a boxing ring, man. So a couple people wanted to <laughs> know what that's about. They was like, "Where?" They was like, "Is Doctor J? Is he putting hands on people?" Is he, he's man, going listen, at coping, everybody knows I love to exercise. You know, I'm a uh, you know I, I love contact sports. You know. Uh, karate, wrestling. I never box, you know, but I'm definitely a casual fan of the sport. But my my man, my best friend, you know, um, he's like kind of he's an expert, you know, commentator, whatever you want to call it. But he's involved in another podcast, um, and we had flew down there to watch the fights, basically. You know okay. What I'm so, but I, but listen, I'm big on that because since I've been in Philly, you know, like I I go to the I used to go to the fights with Mel, you know, Eric all the time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So um just big on you know 2100 arena. Uh right. we've been out to um you know all the casinos, man. I, I love those underground fights, man. You you don't you you you're not interested? I know oh, you- no. oh, I'm in there. I'm in there. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just need to know because you know, listen, we're about to as as this podcast grows, we're about to our talk is getting ready to get real spicy and real heavy. So <laughs> the fact that I, you know, we got these uh, we got the boxing history and stuff back on in the boxing background, you know, it's about to get serious out here. So it's case we have to go hands on, you know, hands on with people. You know, what that means in, in inpatient world. In case we got to. Yeah. Nah, you know, I'm with you, man. Listen, I'm we all about helping people. You know, um, obviously, but. Again, boxing is also a good way, a great way to stay in shape, you know. So um, I'm getting ready to start incorporating that just into my exercise routine. Not, not even anticipating getting in the ring with nobody, but just, you know, staying in shape that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can dig it. Man. Like boxing is definitely uh, incredible for your conditioning and for your stamina and everything. So, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll definitely keep tabs on you on that. I'm not getting out the ring, bro. <laughs> All right. No so, doubt, um, no doubt. So let's get into it. Um, so it seems like uh, our first topic, it seems like this race issue continues to rear its ugly head. You know, uh, we've been talking about that um, pretty much almost every week. You know, the first time we talked about it, we were talking about like with the Dr. Seuss that came up. And then we talked about it also with Megan Markle a couple of weeks ago. So this this unfortunately, this race issue continues to rear its ugly head. 
And um, unfortunately, it's come into play in recent news. And uh, for those people that aren't aware, uh, earlier in the week, unfortunately, there was a uh, mass shooting down there in in Atlanta and um, and right outside of Atlanta, where uh, a gunman targeted three Asian American owned spas. And unfortunately, eight people were killed, and six among those people that were killed were Asian women. And so, uh, although it hasn't been ruled um, a hate crime, uh, it kind of falls in that pattern where we're starting to see that increasing discrimination and violence against Asian American communities uh, over the past year, where over the past year, we've had uh, a lot of reports were coming out that Asian Americans of all different ages, of all different, um, you know, SES and male, female, uh, they were being spit on. They were being verbally and physically assaulted. Uh, they were being uh, barred from establishments and on transportation. And this has just been, you know, taking place. And unfortunately, this was like an ex- an extreme, it seems like, version or, or, or an incident that took place that, again, it's not being ruled a hate crime, but I don't know, to me, if, feels really racially motivated. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll give it like a brief uh, kind of description of what took place. So the gunman unfortunately went into this first spa and he killed four people, uh, drove 30 miles um, and to two other spas and then killed four more people, four more um, Asian women. So, um, yeah, really unfortunate thing. And as we go through it, we definitely want to make sure that we're uh, acknowledging and sending our hearts and thoughts and prayers out to the to the families uh, of and loved ones of the people who were uh, who were killed. Uh, but when you saw this um, this news come out, what what were your thoughts? I mean, obviously, it's very it's a it's a terrible event. Um, you know, first and foremost, you want to send condolences out to the family. Genuinely, the families affected right and everybody else that's that's affected um but you know i look at this and when anything like this happens um and like you said it seems like that's an ongoing theme like we've been dealing talking about issues you know concerning race week after week after week um but again it's it's like kind of like america's dark ugly secret that's not really a secret right like racial identity here you know, is the thing that divides us. I mean, social economic status does as well, you know, um, but racial, you, you know, but racial identity, you know, I, I would say divides us even more than that, right? Um, and we could talk about that at another time. But the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, again, I'm not laying this at these deaths at the foot of of, of, of President, former President Trump, but, you know, when, you, when you're out there, you know, with the biggest platform in the world, 23 million, uh, think Twitter followers mm-hmm. and you're calling it China flu, you know, you know, then. And then you have 70 million people that voted for this man, you know, it's not out of the ordinary to think that some of those, a portion of those 70 million people will, will pick up on those extreme, that extreme language and it'll translate into their behavior. Right. So what you see is people, uh, you know, Asian American people going to McDonald's, going to Red Lobster trying to go take a walk in the park and you got people calling, you know, using, you know, uh, slanderous language, you know, directed towards them, right? It, it, but it comes from the top, um, in my opinion. Um, or 
if you don't want to lay the blame correctly, uh, you know, completely at the people at the top, it's certainly fair to say that those with the loudest megaphones, you know, certainly exacerbated, right? Um, so again, it's a terrible thing. Um, but with the environment that we're in right now, I'm not surprised, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised that something like this will happen. No, I, I echo your thoughts and I'm I'm going to lay it not only at, you know, former president at his feet, but there were other public figures or political figures that were also right in the same vein. Like, I feel like he weaponized the coronavirus, right? With those right. terms, like you just said, with the, the Kung flu and the, the China virus, the China flu, right? Because what he did, he reinforced a particular association with a potentially deadly virus with a group of right. people. So when you do something like that, like you, you like you stoke the fire of that, right? You stoke the fire of anti-Asian violence because, like you said, you have a certain amount of people that are going to go right along with, oh, well, he says that it came from China or it came from, you know, the Asian population. So people are going to follow suit, and he was unapologetic, like he usually is, right? Right. So it's like when you use that type of language, it's going to beget violence. Right. So and what I what I also saw and what I, I did like what I felt like was an additionally harmful to the community down there. Um, I don't know if you saw what happened with the, the, the captain or like the sheriff captain who was down who was supposed to be like the spokesperson. Right. So he um, he made like this claim after they arrested the suspect or the gunman. Um, he he went out and he 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 came out at one of the um the, the pressers and he says that um I got the quote here he says the shootings were not motivated by racism but by the gunman's issues with sex addiction he said uh, he was pretty much fed up and he kind of was at the end of his rope and yesterday he had a really bad day now let me ask you a question yeah this is what the this is the captain saying this giving excuses for the suspect oh no this is the evaluator that evaluated him right. Yeah, this no, this is the, the police sheriff, right? So the sheriff was doing the press conference and he's like, Oh, it was a sex edition and the and the, the gunman had a really bad day. Right. And like what his, his temptation was for him to eliminate this 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 temptation and such. So so you have somebody who is in no way qualified to speak on somebody's motivation for committing a crime. Correct. Right? Their job and their function is to arrest the perpetrator, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I and I'm just being I'm just being facetious. I'm being honest here. Police aren't aren't even supposed to determine innocent or guilt, right? Innocence or guilt. They're supposed to arrest you. Right. The prosecutors right. and the judge and the jury determine that. Exactly. Right. But yeah, he took it upon himself based on not the facts, but based off his feelings, right? To interpret that the suspect that he looked at, it was it couldn't have been racially racially motivated. Now, I'm going to leave that up to other individuals to decide if, if that's an example of white privilege, whatever you want to call it, because some people will interpret it as that. Um, I don't want to jump to a conclusion, but we can certainly think when we think of him, when I think of him, I think of Dylan Roof. Right. Getting, I, I think that was how you pronounce his name. Getting mm-hmm. taken to Burger King after he killed all those people. Right. I, that, so certain suspects get a certain a, a amount of treatment and it extends you know, to the press conference, which is going to anger people even more. But I don't want to get off the point because when we start to talk about him too much, I yeah. think it takes away from 
you know, the individuals that lost their life. And no. I think mm-hmm. the, the point I wanted to make is that you create the conditions of this earlier, right? Like the conditions for this was created two, three, four years ago, right? When Donald Trump was, and, and he's not alone, but he's the biggest figurehead, right? Was stoking the us versus them. Correct. Identity, right? That That is how you can go back to any any place, any time, or any part of the earth, right? When you have a group of individuals that were exterminated or were oppressed, you know, or, or were murdered in large masses, you have to create the us versus them mentality or, or you can't get individuals to adopt that ideology. So he got a large portion of people to accept it's us versus them. And once you do that, then yeah, you can spit on somebody in public, right? You right. can walk up to somebody in the middle of their meal and interrupt their meal and insult them and question whether they're an American. Once you create us versus them. That's why you have people that are in jail right now who stormed the Capitol, broke all kinds of laws, and they, in their mind, they really thought Donald Trump was going to pardon them or get them out. Because it's us versus them. You know? Um, and I think that even, so, and not to focus, like you said, on the police person, but I feel like those comments lend itself. Like, right, when you have that frame of thought or that thought process, it's like you're lending itself like, well, it was just them. Like, I think even his comments, like, they offer an excuse, one, for the act or for the shooter, and then that also erases the suffering of the people that were killed and their family, right? Because, again, it it lends itself to that it's us versus them, right? And so this person is justified, right? So when you have that, it's like not even you're not even able to look at them as victims and as people or as individuals because like, it's like, oh, well, no, they're, they're less than, right? And like you said, when you have people, you're like, you create that view of we're up here and the other folks over here. And these are the guys that caused this pandemic, this, all these other different things. Yeah, now you're not even looking at that individual or that these group of people as people, right? And, and to be honest with you, like, and again, it shows his na- naivety, right? Because to bring, to attempt to bring mental health into this conversation, right? And then say, oh, because sex addiction, he had a sex addiction. Then go to a program. You understand what I'm saying? Right. You, you don't see people who have addictions to food shooting up McDonald's, right? Now, I'm not making light of it, but I'm just saying the absurdity of somebody that would say that. In his brain, that made sense to say. He said it to the world. Right. That's why he went viral, because normal people looked at it and said, well, number one, this is it just sounds unintelligent. I'm not going to use the word I felt was going to use, but it just sounds unintelligent. And then, you know, when we look at it on a deeper level, you know, he's trying to inject mental health into an area that, number one, I can assume he knows nothing about. Right. Or he, I can assume that he's not an expert. And, you know, um, and he's not he's not talking about the crime, right? And, and again, it speaks of def- deflection, but I don't want to spend too much time talking about the cop and, you know, the, the, the no, murderer, absolutely. because again, we got six people who were killed and they're the ones that matter. Like, I'm gonna be very honest, mm-hmm. as a mental health professional, you know, whatever his problem is, he's gonna get care, right? Free care while he's incarcerated. So respectfully, you know, I'm, I'm not directing it at you, but my no. concern is not for him. You know, right at, at this point, once you start shooting people, you know, again, I value the mental health, but you need a behavioral intervention first. Mm-hmm. Right. And the behavioral intervention is prison. 
And you can deal with the mental health at another point. But to inject that in the press conference, number one, it's ignorant and it's 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 very naive. Um, you know. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunately like with all all ethnicities or races that are in the minority, right? There's already a withstanding or a history of racism that's already existed, right? Right. And unfortunately, with when you like you said, when you have the person up top who uses the megaphone, when you're using these words that are very influential and can do a lot of damage, right? Now you're just compounding another layer of racism, right? So Jesse's we're just talking about the Asian, Asian American population, in particular Asian women. There's already been a long history of history, I mean, a long history of racism, whether we're looking at them as hypersexualized or submissive, or you're looking at them from the exotization, or you're looking at them from the fetishization, right? So now we're creating another issue has been created or magnified when you throw now, oh, it's a health you know, pandemic and they're the cause. And so just like with any situation, right, it's a thing where they're a part of our community, right? Just because we're not, we don't share the same ethnicity or the same race. Every we all live in the same neighborhood. We all live in the same cultures. And what's happened is also like you were saying earlier, um, with the us versus them situation or environment or culture that's been created. Like these population of people are going through a lot, like you said, and people are looking the other way, right? There are reports where people are being assaulted in public, spit on all these other different things that are taking place, and you have. Uh, other bystanders that are just standing there allowing it to happen so it's a situation and I'm, I'm happy that i'm i'm you know you're starting to see more a lot more protests you're seeing a lot more demonstrations you're seeing a lot more gatherings because now that it's it's come to a head right it's come to unfortunately it's come to a traumatic head where you had six individuals lose their lives because of this and so I think it's, it's in the same manner as right. if you were able to come together and unite. And, you know, as far as when we did with the Black Lives Matter, we have to do it the same way with the Asian American population. Right. It can't just be them. You know, they're standing up, they're voicing their concerns, their outrage, because, again, we all share the same community. Right. And at the end of the day, this, you know, the racism is coming from the same individual that's promoting, you know what I mean, all of this hate. Well, I think, again, right, I think. One thing we saw over the summer with the protests with George Floyd and all of that is, I mean, you know, black people came out in droves, you know, but um, so you got to give, you know, black uh, African-Americans credit because they came out. But we saw all groups of people out there. Like right. We talk about L.A., different cities. I mean, I'm just talking about from every community, whether we talk about, you know, Latinx community, whether we talk about LGBTQ, you know, a lot of different communities came out in direct support. And I'm only saying that based off the signs I was reading, you know what I mean? Like this group, you know, for Black Lives Matter, you saw individuals, I saw individuals all the way in Nigeria, in Africa, having, you know, in um, in, uh, France, having demonstrations just to show they support, you know what I mean? That that made me feel good as a black man standing in the United States. So I'm only saying that to say, you know, like with this issue as well, you know, we got to use what, like technology mm-hmm. <laughs> and videos going viral, right? And the momentum to bring that same energy to to, to this issue, right? Because um, we got to understand, I, I think that what, I, the point I was trying to make before I got of people 
groups together at the same you saw massive amounts of people you know everybody had to cover it yeah traffic was stopped you know what i mean one group of people can't do that by themselves you know what i mean so that could only be accomplished when you bring several groups of people together so i only say like that same energy you know for lack of a better term we got to keep that same with this you know um, whether it's donating, advocating, sharing videos, speaking out, whatever it is, because it's like that old folktale or whatever it is. It's like, you know, like, yeah, you can turn around when somebody pointing at me or you, or you know, but it's going to come a time where that individual is pointing at you or your group or, what, you know, um, if you are a member of a minority group, you know. Um, so I just think that that energy has to be maintained and, you know, we kind of have to channel it the same way. Um, you, you get results. You know? yeah, absolutely. There's definitely strength in numbers. Um, and I know um, there's an upcoming demonstration. Like if you're in the Philly, South Jersey area, uh, I know they're having a demonstration in a meeting uh, a couple weekends from now. So on April 3rd, uh, whoever's listening. And again, I'll post about this because uh, like you said, we, we got to get the word out. Um, like you said, we're all the same community. And last I checked, the, the people that were hating our community or our, our, our folks were also hating the same Asian American folks and saying the LGBT. Cause like you said, we got to work together to do this. So um, yeah, there's a demonstration in, in South Philly um, at the FDR area. Um, I think starting at 12 at 12 PM on April 3rd, um, it's a Saturday. So at 12 o'clock, everyone will be gathering at the FDR and they're going to be walking like uh, after they get the signs and everything's uh, together and situated. They're going to be walking from the FDR area to the uh, to Broad and Patterson. So everything's going to be right there in the South Philly area. So um, as I continue to get more information, I'll definitely post about it um, and and just spread it. Like you said, we got to continue to keep the same momentum uh, because this is a huge problem and and people are being affected. And this is our community. So if we're going to get anything solved. Like you said, we have to continue to do it in strength and numbers and waves. And we got to continue to um, to speak out and, and do things about it. So. Uh, so I'm hoping uh, that, you know, again, it seems like it's racially motivated. I think that should still be fully on the table. That's just my personal belief based off the information that's come out. Uh, so we'll continue to stay tuned and, you know, keep everybody updated on things. All right. So, again, it's uh, sticking with March. It's uh, National Women's History Month. So, again, Shout out and acknowledgement to all the women in our lives and all the women in the world. You said we can't exist without you. Uh, an article that we came across was talking about um, the idea or the topic of black women's mental health and how it's been invalidated. Um, and it started at home. Right. A lot of people think that it's um, situations maybe start at work or relationships, but with not just solely with black women, but a lot of mental health issues tend to stem at the beginning, childhood or at home. And so uh, we, we reviewed and discussed in this article uh, where you had two women share their stories about uh, their experiences uh, growing up. And uh, one woman had shared her story about when her parents, when she would go to her parents about issues, whether it be like relationships or maybe stress at school or any different concerns, her parents would, you know, they would be dismissively say like, oh, well, you're just sad or, you know, you wouldn't be feeling this way or you wouldn't be depressed if you were cleaning your room. Right. So mm-hmm. kind of really dismissive, um, really invalidating uh, another person, another young lady from the article mentioned that 
uh, when her grandmother passed away and she was in sixth grade, you know, her father would be like, yo, don't cry. Like, don't do that. Right. Even though she's grieving over her grandmother, the same lady said or the same uh, young woman later in the year while she was in sixth grade attempted suicide. And so her mother, uh, when they got home, I guess in the aftermath was just like, oh, you, you did that for attention. Right. And the young lady said she was tempted to say yes, just to make her parents feel better. And unfortunately, she said that he never they never again as a family talked about the suicide attempt and that she still struggles with um, self-harming uh, to this day. And so, you know, her her stories, those two stories are not unique. Uh, I'm sure a lot of black women, unfortunately, have um, have ex- had this experience or something similar to it. And it just sometimes manifest into. A situation where one, if you're not able to, you don't have that outlet, you don't have that individual, or you don't, you're not able to discuss some of these feelings and, and thoughts that you're having as a, as a group, as, as a, you know, as a youth, you know, and, and manifest it and maybe comes out to this tough exterior, right? And then sometimes parents, maybe not maliciously or intentionally, but they, they teach their, you know, their children in particular, we're talking about black women, how to be tough, right? How to survive. And so, you know, it molds or sometimes manifests into the extension of being like this, you know, that superhero, like that, that strong black woman complex that comes, that can be detrimental, right? Where in certain, it might be good for certain situations where you have to be you know, resilient and if you have a lack of resources, but then, in other circumstances or situations, it doesn't lend itself to be helpful, right? And it can create a whole host of other problems. So as you were reading that um, as that article, Dr. J, what were your thoughts and takeaways? Well, I mean, I think it comes back down to stigma. Uh, and I think it starts in a, in a Black family, right? Um, because first of all, I think Black women in particular, it's a no-win situation. Like they're between a rock and a hard place, right? Because we know historically, you know, the black man was removed from the family. We're going all the way back historically, like in terms of slavery, right? And these these schemas, these personality, whatever we're talking about, these things are, are passed down through generations. So, and then after that, we we know that you know, black women have been ahead of a lot of our households for a variety of different reasons. We're talking anecdotally, so I I'm not talking in terms of, of facts. So we have historically in terms of the black woman holding the family together during slavery where we were physically removed from our families. And then when we talk about like post reconstruction, Jim Crow era, whatever you want to call it, black women often in certain, in a lot of situations having to assume that position because the male was, was excluded either via law or, or, or however, right? So all I'm saying is that creates the environment where you have black females that have to teach their daughters and their sons, you know, to conceal their emotions and keep them inside because it's about survival. And slavery was about survival. Now it's about survival, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so sure, do I, you, you know, do I understand why, you know, a, a lot of, you know, black women are, uh, do have those assertive type personality traits? Yeah, I totally, you know, understand it. I think, um, I think the issue is again, you know, we also have stereotype that plays a whole bunch of things that play into that, right? Stereotype plays into it too, right? Because a strong black woman who's assertive and passionate is interpreted as what? Aggressive, Aggressive. right? Or the the angry black woman. 
Right. So right. as if you're a black female in this country, you know, how you between you caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, you know what I mean? Because socioeconomic status and a lot of situation and environment will force you into a position where you, where you gotta have those traits, right? Because money is tight, you know, and you got families to raise, you got things to do, and, and men aren't around. We ain't around. Yeah, you know. Um, so you so you you gotta have that assertive personality, you know. Um, but does that take a toll on you over time? Absolutely. Um, but I don't even really know. I accept it. Like what they said in the article about the superwoman schema, you know, and and, and feeling like you can't reveal your emotions and all of, and, and, and feeling like you have to have all of those assertive personality traits. I accept it, but I don't really know what the appropriate response is, you know, because I just don't know what the alternative is. When I talk about, we're talking anecdotally, but when I talk about what black women have had to overcome or just had to do to keep the black family together in this country, I'm like, well, if they didn't have the, these type of personality traits, where the hell would we, would we be? You know, so I don't really know. It's, it's, it's a hard question to answer. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and I'm not saying you're, answer, you're asking it, but I also think it's, it's kind of an unfair question as well, you know, in certain respects because of what black women have had to do over the years, you know? Yeah, um, for me, I'm, and maybe I'm being optimistic or, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that with the evolution of time or with as the generations are are unfolding is that one that that stereotype kind of starts to it starts to, you know, decrease. But I'm also looking at how times are changing where you maybe had grandmom, right? Like our grand our grandparents and then maybe our parents responded in kind with that right they responded in a way where they were okay mom grandma is raising the family right grandma or mom is raising us because keeping us together because like you said dad's not here or whoever's not here i'm from what i've seen like either in you know in work with working with adolescents or even just personally i don't think this particular generation of of adolescents are responding the same way Right. I think one, there are more resources. I think also just the culture and it, it, it's just different. So I don't know if they're responding to that same, like you said, assertive parenting that where it's just like, hey, I'm teaching you how to survive because this is how it's going to be. And this is what I had to go through. And this is what grandma had to go through to keep the family. So this is what you need to know. I, it doesn't appear that a lot of teenagers are, are as receptive to that type of forceful assertive thing. So that's where my concern comes in because they may interpret it as something different, right? They may interpret it as, oh, well, my mom doesn't care about me. My mom's hate me. She's invalidating, kind of similar to how these young adults. Well, that's you know, kind of what happened in the article, right? Right. So that's yeah. so, so I think the, the perception where mom, and I'm not saying that how mom or whoever in these articles were right, right? I'm not saying mm -hmm. justifying or minimizing your kids' concerns or things is right and by any means. What I'm saying is that those parents, like you just said, only knew one way, right? This is the way that they were raised. This, I got to raise my kid to be strong. I got to raise my kid to get through this because if they have to go through it. I, our job as a parent is to give your kids the tools necessary to survive. Right. So, but it seems like the the ones that were given their, their story, their perspective was a different thought process. Right. And they so, weren't receptive to that. Exactly. Right. So now that it's not receptive, it's going to be different 
they're going to like now their struggles are going to be different. In addition to, of course, learning how to survive in, in, in these times. But now also, like you said, the toll, the impact, they may interpret it as, well, my mom and dad weren't there for me. And this is why I'm struggling with other different issues. So I'm hoping that with the openness, with some of the more resources, with mental health being able to be less taboo is being talked about more we see a lot more figures and people that look like us that are willing to talk about it like it's coming more out of the shadows and into the light i'm hoping that you know they can kind of one change that thought process or be more receptive or two if this is what they were their experience where they're able to get the help so they can they're able to process and contextualize what they what they experienced because I don't know about you, but some of the adolescents and, and some of the, the some people that I know when they, when mom is giving them that kind of like that, that tough love that like you need to do this. It's, it's a different perspective. Like it's a different reaction. And they a lot of times their first reaction is to, oh, I'm out. Right. Like, oh, I'm not. This, mom's not going to be talking to me like this or I don't know what she's talking about. This, this It's not the same as when we were growing up. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I I can't really disagree with that. I, I agree, right? Because we know people. The same kind of that they with them. Uh, I also agree with the other point that this generation of children are, are a little different for a lot of different reasons, you right. know, um, in terms of how they talk about their emotions, how they interpret their emotions, you know. Um, so, so I mean, again, it's interesting watching that dynamic fold out, right? I'm watching it the same way as you. Um, and watching kind of, I don't want to say the old way, but a mentality of a different generation and, and how these, you know, younger uh, teenagers and, and kids younger than that kind of accept it or don't, or how they deal with it. No, uh, but it's interesting, you know. It's interesting yeah. because, like, even if, if you know and I know, I guess it's kind of like that catch twenty two type of deal where where mental health wasn't talked about, and even as they they mentioned in the article, it was like you know very in family, right? We've talked about it that in the fast that whatever was happening in the family, we kept it in house, right? And so you know now, now these these kids, man, listen. I'm not keeping anything in house. Like, yo, I'm either leaving, I'm telling everybody, or I'm gonna take these pills because that's how I'm gonna deal with it. Right. So they're way more outspoken. They have a lot more resources or options, healthy and unhealthy, of how they're gonna interpret it and how they're gonna deal with whatever personal issues, whatever thoughts, intense emotions that you know are coming their way, whether it be in house, and then you got they got the influence of social media, they got the influence of their friends, right? So. It's just that at least from I've seen, um, I haven't seen them be as receptive to that. So I'm hoping that it's also a situation as parents, you know, and speaking as a parent for us to, we got to switch, you know, our, our parenting style, right? We can't continue. We can't be maybe hit them on the head with the hammer as, as our parents did. Right. And we got to switch it up because like you said, for a lot of different factors, you know, these kids are different and they interpret information a lot differently. So I think it's, you know, it's a it's an evolving situation and hopefully everybody's opening to learn. Hopefully everybody's opening to, you know, one, be more receptive. We switch parenting styles up and one, just the stereotypes, 
falls in in the process of it, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to be the common denominator. If we can get this stigma to a place where it's close to being non-existent or non-existent at all, then everybody can be on the same page because, you know, so we'll we'll see, you know, but it was definitely the article. I don't think it's, um, there actually is a a solid answer. Um, so we'll we'll continue to see, you know, so that takes us, uh, we mentioned uh, a couple of times, you know, the current process. And of course, we can't talk about the current day without mentioning some form of how it's been affected by COVID-19, uh, right? Because yeah, that's the yeah. most salient thing that everybody's dealing with in some form or fashion. So uh, another article that came across our desk talked about, you know, um, just the differences in how the lockdown may have affected your personality, right? May how it affected, uh, maybe kind of how you go about in life. So, uh, well, what do you think? Do you, do you feel like, I mean, even maybe you personally or what you've seen in other individuals, clients, family, friends, like the lockdown has kind of changed your personalities. I mean, well, of course we're talking about, um, we're not really talking about individuals with serious mental health disorders here because obviously, you know, being confined or, having your activities and coping, having that reduced, you know, can't have a positive effect on, on that population. But like me personally, and kind of like people that I know um, that have kind of had regular routines. I mean, every, everybody, we've all changed, right? We've all had to readjust. Right. Um, I kind of looked at this article kind of like from like a, a, a bigger perspective in terms of like two years from now, five years from now, like what are some of the, the behaviors and habits that people might have incorporated that they'll either maintain um, or they'll terminate, right? Um, and just how have people handled that, right? Um, I, my perspective is a little skewed because I never stopped going to work, you know? So, you know, the only thing that really stopped for me is not being able to go out, you know, go to like a, a lounge or something like that, you know? Um, but I... I spent months on the road when nobody was there. So it's like, I, I never really, I'm not gonna say I didn't feel like it was a pandemic, but I was inconvenienced, you know what I mean? But I didn't necessarily, I don't necessarily feel like I had to experience quarantine or anything like that. Cause again, I never stopped going to work. You know, I was, I was at work every day. Um, but in terms of just, when we talk about like personality and things that might, in terms of lasting change, you know, for, for kind of this pandemic, for me, it, it more or less revolves around like my coping skills, right? So naturally, like I, I love to exercise, you know, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I go to church, do those type of things, um, but just incorporating other things, right? So grounding myself through like reading, right? Or starting back with yoga, you know, doing certain things to kind of focus my mind, you know, relax myself um, and kind of engage the relaxation response as we talk about you know what i mean mindfulness stuff so i think that's the type of stuff that at least with me is going to persist after this you know um so it might not necessarily be a personality change it may be more of a behavior change um but i think that the the habits you know are are definitely are going to reinforce like positive coping positive mental health all of that because i feel better you know that you know what i mean um so that that's how it kind of impacted me. Um, but what about you? What do you think, you know, the major change will be? From um, I mean, for me, like when I was like, I was reading the article, 
like I looked at it like I feel like or I believe that in any abnormal time like a pandemic that we're we're going through right now um like people's personality traits will change in this or like to the extent where like you're forced to you know leave what you're comfortable with right or like your daily routine right so because of the protocols and things that were put in place like you mentioned yeah certain aspects are going to change right to that extent um so we're definitely going to develop like some new norms um and like that will affect our personality right honestly um i think it comes down to really how strong your values are and what you have like in your environment so like you mentioned like you said you're a big you're a spiritual person you're you know active as far as like working out so if you're strong in your values like if that's something that you know that it's important to you like if you're a social person right and you're used to kind of going out all right well you're not able to you know like you said go to a lounge you're not able to go to whatever social event then that usually means that that particular person is either one gonna when they have like the virtual you know gatherings or family things like that person is going to be present on that right because socializing is important Right. Or they're going to be one of those people that's probably if something pops up, they're going to make sure they're out there. Mask or no mask. They're going to right. be out there because that's what's important to them. And then also, like, whatever you have in your environment. So I think that plays a part. Like, are you living by yourself? Like, are you do you have a partner or do you have your family? True. So I think, you know, it's going to be adjusting like where you're used to having that space where like, all right, well, I usually had eight or nine hours where I did, I wasn't with my kids, but now since I'm working from home, you know, it's going to be that like, that'll be the adjustment. So you'll have to get, that'll be like the new norm and that'll affect your personality. Cause maybe it'll be a situation. Maybe uh, you'll enjoy being with your kids or if you, you know, don't like your partner, it's going to be even more heightened, right? It's going to be more highlighted. And if you do love your partner, you're going to enjoy even more time spending with them. So, I definitely think it, it comes down to the values. I don't think it's a, a full, full on personality change, but like to echo what you were saying, definitely, your, you know, some of your behaviors are going to be are going to be different and there are going to be some traits that are going to be adjusted because it, there's a new norm. And, you know, how strong your, your, your values are, um, I think will definitely be will come to fruition or come to the forefront. So, no, I agree. You no, know, we'll see. I mean, definitely. I'm excited or even interested to say um, what the lasting um, effects going to be because everyone continues to have like, Oh, well they're opening up this people are getting vaccinated and so on and so forth. And, and that's good. However, it's also, I think a lot of things that happened during the pandemic are going to continue to linger. Right. Like a lot, oh, yeah. of, a lot of companies are, are like, you may be working from home, maybe for the duration. Right. Because right. companies have caught on to like, hey, you know what? We can still be as productive with these people at home. Right. We're saving money because like we always talk about financially always is a consideration. A right. lot of companies are saving money having people at home. You don't have to do reimbursements for gas. You're saving like on utilities. You're saving on ordering products, all these other different things. So for some, I think for some um, fields and some for some arenas, like this may be your new norm. So, that's a fact. 
And um, we'll continue to see, um, you know, the the effect, and then also like the personality as far as like what affected you while while you were doing the pandemic. Like, did you lose people? Did you, you know, what was your personal experience? Which I feel like right. is also going to be a consideration to, you know, the the extent that your personality or different traits and behaviors are going to change. So it'll be uh, right. interesting to continue to watch, man. Yeah, I mean, um, and it's definitely not going anywhere because listen, they're going to be doing studies and experiments and all, well, all kind of research on this mm-hmm. pandemic and the impact for the next decades, you know? So on to the NCAA. On to the NCAA. So we definitely had to bring this to light and put these guys on the grill. Um, and again, staying with the, the subject and uh, of, of women. Um, so recently what came out, it's NCAA time. It's March Madness. You and I are both big sports fans. So I love this time of year. I love this particular weekend. So the men's tournament has been going on since um, since last Friday. And the women's just started theirs off on um, this past Sunday. However, uh, when the teams arrived uh, a day or so before the first games were tipping off, uh, the women, unfortunately, ran into a bit of an obstacle. So, um, as we know, most of these these gyms, um, when you get to the, the hotels, the, there's a workout area, right? right. So men in their area, wherever their, their bubble or their hotels are, are, are seated at, um, they came to have fully stocked gyms. Right. Mm-hmm. Everything you need, any anything you can think of, they have. Unfortunately, uh, that wasn't the case for the women's teams. OK, with right. their location. So they came in and they saw one small pyramid of lightweights in an empty room. Like so that I mean, was it. That was it. I thought I was just seeing a snapshot. No, no, that was it. That looked like the, the little, like little small periods of like little weights that you can get at like Walmart. Like I don't it even think. Like, well, my mom has another room. Right. Yeah, bro. Like it, it looked like that was it. Like and and then, um, so of course, uh, a couple coaches and uh, I think her name is Sadani Price. Um, she she's a, a pretty good player. I don't I don't want to mess up the team that she plays for. But she saw this and was like, "Oh no, nah, this this needs to be uh this needs to be publicized, right? This needs right. we need to know yeah, about." She it. put them put them on blast. She had to. Yeah, and more more power to her. So she took the picture, and um, you know, it went on. It, it got exposure. Got on on all the social media platforms. And, uh, of course, after that, you know, the public outcry, the NC, you know, well, first they said, oh, it was a rooming issue, right? They didn't have any space for them. So then, right. you know, of course, they're like, again, and we, we, re- we live in the age of camera phones. Like, we got, we got phones. We can record everything. So after that, the, the, a lot of the different players showed it was a huge space, all right? That could have been more than ample amount of space for all types of weightlifting or and exercise equipment. So then after that public outcry, the NCAA upgraded the workout facilities and they added like a little pink lighting to like the workout area. Right. So, um, yeah. So what for me, when I saw this, I'm, I'm going to just call it um, blatant sexism. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. I mean, this pretty much sends a message uh, that you're not as valued and on the same level as your male counterparts. Right. That, that, that's pretty that's just as blatant as it gets. I mean, but if we're being honest, like the NCAA has been very clear with this, about this, like with their actions for a very long time. There was another, I think there was another group of pictures that was floating around and it was just like the swag that they came, that they gave to the players. Oh yeah. And the, and the food that they, that they served them. Right. Yeah. So 
Think Terrible. about the audacity to, it's the same NCAA. It's the same body, right? But the level of the food for the athletes is different. So when you say blatant, of course it's blatant. You know, you want to talk about space? It makes no sense because when you look at what they had in there, again, that shit could have came out of somebody's car, right? That's what my mom uses in her thing, in her gym. But um, when you when you start saying like, okay, you start comparing the food, the quality of the food that 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 one group is offered versus the other, whether you get a t-shirt, a hat, an iPad, or whatever, all of that is different. You know, you, you understand what I'm saying? Um, and the problem is like when you're playing for the Lakers and and, and Jerry Buss is your owner, or, or you're playing for the Kings and, and whoever that is is your owner, then you can do that, right? Because mm-hmm. you got two individual owners and they could they could root, they could provide for their teams how they want. But when you have a body like the NCAA, you know, regardless of how much money the women are generating versus the men, you know, um, you have to treat them in a, in, in a respectful manner. Like, because in terms of them being athletes, they're equal, you know? Um, so again, I, I just think it's definitely egg on their face. It makes them look dumb. <laughs> it makes them look very bad because fundamentally, like when we're talking about how much the nutrition I'm going to provide you is depending on how much money you generate at the gate. Like we, we got a problem, you know, we got a problem. Yeah. They treated them like an afterthought. That's, that's pretty right. much what it was. And, and uh, in addition to the, the poor food and like the swag bags, they also had them, they had, they were, they were um, less, uh, the COVID testing was different also. So the, the, the COVID testing for the women was less accurate. It was like with something with the antibodies. And so even with money, right, because this came up when I was in the barbershop because um, we had ESPN on and, uh, you know, a couple of dudes in the shop, of course, with that with that same, you know, uh, prehistoric uh, mind thought process are like, oh, well, you know, they, you know, they don't they're not bringing in as much money as, as, right. as guys. Listen. Before COVID, the NCAA women's basketball brought in nine hundred and seventy four million. Right. That's only third behind men's football, NCAA football, which we know is a beast. And then the NCAA men, right? Third. Out of all the other sports and stuff, 974 million. That's a a, big check. That's a big check, right? So, I mean, for me, it was like, and and, and you know what other thing that that was funny was the – was the message, right? The whole season long message that I saw, like just watching ESPN was talking about like togetherness and equality. And right. so pretty much that was just a nice sound bit because that was bullshit. Right. Right. <laughs> because you're not going to sit here and say we it's togetherness and equality. And this is what we get. Right. Like this was pretty much for me, just a blend of misogyny and incompetence. Because, to put it. Yeah. Because it makes no sense. Like it's baffling to me. Like you, the NCAA could have saved yourself a lot of trouble if you just did the right thing in the first place. Right. Like these gyms, like these gyms, like that Jay, man, listen, like, you know, and I know we've seen these gyms, right. You go on campus. Like I, I've seen the gyms when, when I was taking Trent on, on, on college tours, I've seen these gyms at Duke. I've seen them at Georgetown. I've seen them at, more recently at Penn State, these gyms, I'm jealous that I can't work out there at these gyms, right? So, and this is just for them. They need, the men's and the women have separate ones, 
And even right. the women's are, it's, it's amazing, right? right? So why, like, it just makes no sense. It's just really just mind-blowing that you wouldn't even put that. And you had plenty of space in, in the areas downstairs. They just didn't. And, like, now, I don't know who their PR person is or whatever it was, but, like, it, this is, like I said, misogyny and incompetence, man. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's blatant. You know, again, it's, it's um, um, shocked, but not surprised, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and again, they should have to answer for this, right? And I'm, you know, the 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 player that, um, I forget her name, you know, that put them on blast, you yeah. know, like- Yeah, Sedona Price. Right, you gotta give her some credit, you know, because you know there's been some pressure, back channel or not, you know, for her doing that. Um, but again, this is the way forward, right? Like uh, moving forward. Social media is a way for individuals who are voiceless to get a voice, right? Because what do you think would have would have happened if they would have complained and, and and this didn't hit social media? You know, um, it would have fell on deaf ears. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so again, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? So they put it out. You know, the world shamed them, and what happened? They came back and made the corrections because again. I'm sure, and I don't want to speak for those women athletes, but I'm sure the individuals who kind of, who feel like they don't deserve that same um, uh, level of equipment, pay, whatever you want to call it, I'm sure they're less worried about changing their minds than being properly compensated and having appropriate equipment and being respected. You know what I mean? Because it's it's kind of like a lot of these other conversations that we, we have. I could care less if somebody has views that go against me or, you know, my niece or any or, or my family. But as long as you're behaving in a manner where it can't impact me, I don't care what your views are, you know. But so I'm sure that they know that the sexism is here. They got to deal with it. They've had to deal with it not only in terms of basketball, but in a whole bunch of aspects of their lives, you know. So it's not anything new to them. But I'm sure they just... They, they, they worry much less about men being cavemen than them really getting equally compensated. They want the compensation. Mm-hmm. Give them the equipment, give them the opportunity, give them the money. And if individuals want to continue to think in a certain way, you know, that's prehistoric, then they'll get left behind, you know. Absolutely. But the point is, we've seen the NCAA being put on blast, and now we're seeing some of the action, right? Some of it. And that's what we want, the action. Absolutely, yeah. So they, uh, I'm happy, like you mentioned, uh, Sedona Price and other athletes and coaches were able to, uh, you know, put them on blast. So, you know, this situation was able to get resolved and corrected. That shouldn't have been the situation in the first place. But I don't know. You know, hopefully the NCAA uh, learns from this. But they definitely took an L on this one. So more power oh, yeah. to the women's basketball team. Uh, I'll be watching them. I'll be watching their tournament. And uh, like I said, you know, when you do stupid stuff like this, this is what the actual result is. So, yeah, yeah what happens? So, this is um, open and shut. This is open and shut, man. The court of public opinion is banging the gavel on this one. There it is. All right, man. So uh, if you got uh, nothing else to, to bring forward, I think we'll wrap this up. Anything on your end? Not much over here, man. I'm, uh, you know, I'm about to just relax, you know, enjoy the rest of my evening, man. It's been a long day, you know. 
All right, cool. So again, guys, we thank everybody for for watching and for listening to the to the Black Psychologist Podcast, Episode Six. We're moving right along, so don't forget to listen, watch, subscribe, comment. Because again, we want to talk about things that are relevant to what's going on, not only in the world, but are going on in your lives. So we appreciate everybody's support. We appreciate the likes. We appreciate everybody subscribing um, and continuing to support us in every manner that you're able to do so. So um, for Dr. J and myself, we're signing off. We will see you guys next episode and continue watching and listening. All right. Later. Peace.